0: Welcome to 10 Minute TechCom. This is Ryan Weber at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. And this is our second part of a series on making TechCom more inclusive. And for part two, we welcome two special guests.
1: So my name is Natalia Matveva. I am Associate Professor in the Department of Arts and Communication at the University of Houston downtown. My interest is in uh, intercultural communication, business and corporate communication, and also plain language. I'm an Associate Professor and also a Co-Director of the Institute for Plain English Research and Study at
2: UHD. My name is uh, Dr. Gardner Boka. I'm actually the um, associate professor at the University of Houston downtown in the Department of English. My areas of um, research are social justice, research methodologies, intercultural communications, and uh, science and medical writing.
0: My guests are the co-editors of the recent book, Citizenship and Advocacy in Technical Communication, and they're joining us today to talk about how technical communication practitioners, teachers, and scholars can use their skills to engage in citizenship, advocacy, and social justice. Welcome to the podcast, to the both of you. I really appreciate you joining us to talk today about social justice and inclusivity and in technical communication. I know both of you have done a lot of work in that area. And in the introduction to the edited collection that you put out recently about those topics, uh, you argue that advocacy, citizenship, and civic engagement are important aspects of technical communication, but that our field has sometimes been slow to embrace them. So what are, in you know, 2019 as we record, what are kind of the current strengths and weaknesses in technical communication when it comes to these areas?
1: We have all the tools we need to make difference in uh, local communities. And we have active communication tools such as grant writing, resume writing, letter writing, instructions, intercultural communication skills, accessibility, usability, and many others. And we can address and help resolve lots of social and economic and cultural and environmental issues in the community. As teachers, we are equipped with all these tools to introduce initiatives such as grant development and uh, scholarships and different types of collaborative projects and pedagogical approaches to um, basically advance this vision of civic learning and prepare students for working in the local communities and bring change basically. But I also think that one of the weaknesses of what we do is that we're somewhat isolated. We have isolated programs, we have isolated classes, faculty projects, kind of doing things on our own. And I think there should be more collaboration. Just to give you an example, Houston is, is one of the largest cities in the United States, and we have a great number of research and teaching institutions, but we actually barely know what they're doing, for example, in UH, uh main campus or, or Rice, Rice University. There's very little collaboration, and I rarely actually see any announcements of uh, the project that they do. So I think collaboration should happen a also at the level of professional organizations, those should probably help spread the the word about the types of projects people are doing and also the ways those can be replicated elsewhere. So the the goal of the collection was to basically showcase what some of us are doing with the hope that uh, others could take similar steps and try out the approaches.
2: Yeah, so no, I agree with Natalia, you know, on all the points that have been made. Uh, Let me emphasize that over the last decade in the field of technical communication, there has been a huge paradigm shift, you know, in terms of research and pedagogical practices, you know, geared towards advocacy, social justice, service learning, and in terms of how we prepare students for, you know, uh, community engagement. So, for example, in our classes, we don't only talk about the skills that students need to learn or to know to succeed in the workplace but then how the decisions they make will actually influence or impact the communities that they practice and this is very evident in our scholarship our teaching practices and of course in the kinds of work that practitioners in the field also do and for us i think um, these are some of the wonderful things that are happening in the field of technical communication so when we wrote this edited collection We actually knew about that, but what we wanted to do was to re-engage some of those issues and to find out what new things that people are doing in the field are. Now, the point that Natalia made about collaboration is very important in our field. I think that um, that is one area that we have to do more about because it looks as if we are basically kind of, we are in a lone ranger kind of situation. If these uh, collaborations happen, It will be wonderful for our field.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. You know, again, as someone who teaches technical communication, sometimes I don't know what other people at my university are doing, let alone what, you know, our neighbors in the community are doing as well. So I understand that challenge of trying to, figure out what everybody's doing and not reinvent the wheel and also to work together across institutions and industries and that kind of thing. I mean it is a big challenge.
1: And I think that I can add that the collection contains a great number of different approaches and theories. And pretty much any person can find something interesting and relevant, I think. From activism by female practitioners to cosmopolitanism to nonprofit partnerships to social media advocacy. So There's a wide range of things. And uh, the collection offers also uh, activities for instructors that can be used in the classroom. So I think that's one of the strengths of of the collection.
0: Great. So what you're saying is there's a lot of ways to do advocacy and civic work in tech comm.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm.
2: Definitely sure. I mean, uh, of course, there's so many ways. First of all, I mean, through scholarship, the things that we write, right? So one of the areas where we Engage in conversations is through the scholarships that we put out there. That's number one. Of course, um, the ideas that we also discuss at our various conferences, you know, also constitute some platform or medium through which we can talk about advocacy. And of course, teaching, you know, because I think that the classroom offers the best platform to interrogate all these ideas and all that, and also to prepare students for the world of work, so ethical work. Um socially just ways of doing things once they get out there. So, and as Natalia indicated, if you go through the collection, in fact, all the contributors included some practical activities that will help teachers to be able to implement some of the things that we talked about, some of these theories that we talked about. So The collection is a dual kind of thing. It's a theory thing. And of course, it's also a practice-based material for teachers, especially, yeah.
0: Awesome. So can you give us a couple of examples of things people are doing in the classroom or the community involving technical communication that are sort of examples of civic engagement or advocacy?
2: Yeah, sure. Let me talk about um, service learning, for example. If you look at the chapter by Simpson and Simpson, for example... um, One of the things that they talk about is um, a service learning project that they undertook in their class. In fact, they did get a grant for that, and I think it was a year-long project. Now, the the beauty about service learning is that instructors in a class can, before the semester starts, engage a client or some kind of project. And then what they can do is that they set up the class in such a way that students in their classes will be working for these clients. Students go out to the community, they take a project, they work with a client, and then they can work on it in such a way that they will improve upon the particular projects that in eventually will influence or impact the lives of the people within the communities. And I think we do write about this extensively in the collection that service learning is one important platform for enacting, you know, advocacy out there because um, students actually don't just have to stay in the classroom. They go out there and see that all right, these are real challenges or the real problems that people are facing. What can we do with the help of our, our instructor to be able to make kind of life or the situation better for the people outside? So that's one, obviously, one area. I don't I know. Natalia will add a few other things to that too.
1: So, yeah, there is another chapter that is a great example of what can be done as part of a kind of advocacy approach. There's a chapter by Derek Ross on resume design uh, and career advocacy in a Goodwill uh, Career Center. So he himself worked as a writing coach at a Goodwill Center locally in his community and helped redesign and design resumes for people who need assistance. Okay, and this is a great example of how educators can actually not just teach students, but also help with such an important skill in the community. Okay, so that's another type of advocacy that we can provide.
0: That's excellent. So if I understand, he worked with people who need to, say, enter the career field or whatever and help them design resumes that would be more effective. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great example of sort of using your tech writing skills on the ground to help people out. So if you're talking about preparing students to be more just, inclusive communicators in the workplace, once they enter the workplace, or if there's listeners out there who are tech writers already in the workplace, what kinds of things can they do with technical communication to participate in advocacy?
2: Yeah, um, I think that's, that's a very good question. Technical communicators actually write various policy documents that also influence how decisions are making and how those decisions also influence communities. So, for example, you have a technical communicator who works for an NGO, and the job of a technical communicator in the NGO is to produce or write some communication artifacts, for example. So the goal of an NGO is to make some kind of a difference within the community. So as a technical communicator, your goal is that you are, at that point, trying to make sure that whatever documents that you produce is done in a socially just way so that it influences or impacts people in ways that will not actually harm them, right? So that's the goal. So we talk about these things in the classroom, but the point is that when students find themselves in these so-called real-world contexts, they're able to make some decisions that will benefit the community. That's one example. Another example is, I mean, we always talk about oil and gas. For example, you have a technical communicator who also works in an oil and gas firm or organization. And we all know the challenges of um, gas explosions and all that. We need someone who is a technical communicator who also design documents in some of those situations because tech people find themselves in management positions. So they influence the daily decisions that are made over there. So whatever communication we put out there has real world or real life impact on communities. So the artifacts we produce are not neutral. And I say that because they have ways of impacting lives because they support the work that subject matter people do. And that for us is crucial. So in doing this in socially just ways, we actually you know, go out there and try to make lives you know, better for people in the community.
1: Yeah. I agree with Godwin and technical communicators create communication products. And Garden talked about it. So documents and very important documents, documents that can change policy, procedures, create new opportunities for people related to their quality of life. So This is very powerful. And considering that Techcom is a very interdisciplinary, it combines lots of different tools from other disciplines, which makes it essentially perfect to do advocacy and civil, uh, civic engagement work
0: as people are doing advocacy, let's say I want to do it as a student or an instructor or a technical communicator at work, but it sounds—it seems to me like just wanting to do it necessarily isn't enough, that I want to make sure that I do it well so that I don't cause more harm than good with my advocacy or civic engagement. What are some criteria that I might think about for not just doing advocacy or civic engagement, but doing them in a way that, as you said, Godwin doesn't harm people, that helps people, that makes people's lives
2: better? Yeah, so here's a challenge we have. And I I always say that as a field, I mean, technical communicators, I mean, we have a major problem. And here's a problem. Advocacy or terms like advocacy, social justice and all that have become sexy terms in the field, right? So if you are tagged as someone who is a social justice scholar or a scholar of advocacy or citizenship or civic engagement, I mean, it's, it's kind of the romantic thing to do. And that's where I get a little worried about. But advocacy simply means going out there and to make a situation better for people. Here's the thing. The primary job of a technical communicator is to advocate for the user. That's it because we are at the front line of enhancing access to products. So, for example, when someone who is in engineering, the sciences, and some other areas, the job of a technical communicator is to bridge the gap between an audience or some specific audience and some technical material out there. So that's the primary way we have to conceive of advocacy, that's number one. Number two, um, for students who are going out there, the primary job is to discuss notions of the public good. How am I going to be able to conceptualize or enact advocacy in ways that will enhance the quality of life for the community that I'm going out there to serve? And for us, I think that the skills that we build in the classroom by showing them practical examples of what people go through, disenfranchised, unenfranchised, vulnerable populations and what they go through and how communication can be used to enact social justice for those people, for for us, doing some of those things and showing those practical examples to students in the classroom will have a way of letting them know that, oh, really, technical communication has some real-world significance. It's not just an abstract concept that we talk about, but it has real-world significance. So, whatever communication artifacts or deliverables we produce will have some lifelong impact on how we're able to, you know, help specific communities or populations out there. So, I mean, those are the kinds of discussions that we have, you know, in the classroom. And then we set up, again, as I indicated, these clients' projects, they go out there, we give them specific criteria to follow, and then they go out there and they and act some of these uh, forms of advocacy that we talk about Yeah.
0: Excellent. Ed, can I follow up on something that you said real quick? I want to make sure I understand. So you were saying at the beginning of your comment, it's become hip or... or- whatever, to use social justice and civic engagement and to become identified in that way, but your concern is maybe that that isn't being followed through on the ground, or what was the kind of the specific concern about the way that those terms are are used?
2: Here's the challenge for those of us who do work in social justice or advocacy and all that. Now, there are some scholars who often question the commitment of civic engagement assignments, you know? to social justice they often you know decry the quality of deliverables that we produce for some communities you know They also raise concerns about the particular theoretical grounding that motivates these advocacy types of work that we do and then they even wonder about the value of community engagement to students sometimes for example if you are setting up students for projects some you know scholars actually wonder about oh, what is the value to them are they really going to benefit from the kinds of things that we are trying to do there are some other power structures as well for example if an educated person goes into a community that has a vulnerable population the obvious issue is that there's a power relation over the it's an asymmetrical power relation you have an educated person and somebody who is not educated and i mean so there are some concerns about that but the point is the reason why we set up this edited collection was to engage some of those issues that advocacy can be done in the right way by having the most beneficial impact on a community. So it's not just about going into the community and doing that for the sake of doing advocacy as a sexy term or going out there to exploit people. No, you can set up in a thoughtful, careful manner to make sure that you prepare students to understand what advocacy is. And then you can also set up advocacy projects to benefit the communities for for whom the advocacy projects are actually instituted. So that's one of the reasons why we actually did the, the edited collection to work on some of those issues, yes.
1: And I just wanted to add, and I think that this will be a great example, uh, we have a chapter uh, in the collection by a uh, which is called Expanding uh, Inventional and Solution Spaces, How Asset-Based Inquiry Can Support Advocacy and Technical Communication. And in that chapter, she describes basically a framework, and it uh, answers your question, I, I think, perfectly, and it supports what Godwin has been explaining, that just going into the community doesn't guarantee that you, ac- you can actually help that community. OK, what she describes in that chapter is is basically a process of using a participatory approach and engaging with uh, local representatives and community representatives. If you decide to do any sort of research or practice, collecting feedback from uh, these people. And she describes different types of approaches, uh, such as the appreciative interviews and then discovering action dialogues. And these are somewhat new approaches, I would say. When I was uh, a PhD student, I did not hear about these. And this this is something that has been developed over the past, what, maybe five years, my guess is. But uh, these are some of the things that, again, community-specific. And the the goal of these is to make sure that our perceptions align with the perceptions of the actual people and the needs of the people in the community.
0: Mm -hmm. That's great. So I might think that I'm helping, but unless that I actually talk with the community that I'm trying to help, I won't really know if I'm being helpful or not, or or had the best ways to be helpful. Exactly. Great. Well, hey, thank you so much. This is really exciting work. And I know the both of you um, do a lot of work in this area. So we really appreciate what you're doing for the community and for TechCom Scholarship. I appreciate you joining us today.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you.